Hello and welcome. My name is Alonda Carter and I am the Recovering Hunbot and this is season two of Hey Hun, You Woke Up. This podcast is brought to you on 10 different platforms, including Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google, and Anchor. There is a video version available on YouTube. Today, I'm chatting with Dr. William Keep. Dr. Keep is a professor of marketing and former dean of business and interim provost at the College of New Jersey. He has assisted state and federal prosecutors in the prosecution of pyramid schemes and has been quoted in the press as an expert on multi-level marketing. Dr. Keep is also known for the work that he has published in academic articles on multi-level marketing pyramid schemes and the evolution of direct selling in the United States. Let's welcome Dr. Keep to the show. Bill, thank you so much for joining me today. And we are going to talk income disclosure statements, which is something that many of us in the anti-MLM you know, YouTube world do look at. I know I have a number of them. And even I, at times, get confused. And I will say this, when I joined Beachbody, if you would have put an income disclosure in front of me, number one, I would have looked at it and thought, well, I'm going to get to the top. I would have seen myself, even though we know statistically the likelihood of me being able to do that is slim and next to none. But I would have envisioned myself getting there. But I also never even saw one. And most people who join have no idea, in my opinion, as far as I know, know that these even exist. And even when we do have that data, it's almost like, what is it really telling us? Is this really helpful? Is it really meaningful? Can anybody look at this and make a good decision based on the data that is provided by these companies? And so my question to you is, what do you think? What do you think that this is? Is it helpful for people to look at? And can they ascertain, yeah, I have a good chance of making it? Yeah, I think you raise a really good question. And thank you for inviting me back. Um, These income statements have been around for a very long time. uh, And uh, I know that even the Federal Trade Commission has had some real issues with them. Um, But let's talk about them specifically in the context of one simple sentence. And that simple sentence is, People can succeed at this and you can too. Because that belief, that statement um, has to be true um, in order for someone to commit. So if, if the statement said, you know, people can succeed at this, but you cannot, then obviously no one's joining. So we need to have uh, people believe that they too can succeed. Um, and so that's part of the draw of, of joining a multi-level marketing. I too can succeed. The second half of that sentence, okay? So income statements, uh, by and large, um, demonstrate the first half of that sentence, um, but only the first half. And I'm going to talk about that. And I'm also going to talk about ways in which I believe these income statements actually mislead people about their own chance of success. So um, I have some examples. Um, uh, I've redacted the company names because it doesn't really matter the company name. Uh, There are a lot of different um, multi-level marketing companies out there, um, but there's a a, a great deal of similarity in how they present their earnings or income or compensation statements. And I have two examples from two different companies from two different years. So I'll, I'll start off by uh, sharing this one. Um, 
And this company, uh, both of these companies uh, that I'll be sharing with uh, uh, are, are large companies uh, that operate, you know, in multiple countries. Um, and so this uh, company uh, is going to tell us, the reader, um, about a, what happened in a particular year. And so in this particular year, this company had 48,521 active distributors. Um, now we have to kind of look around and search, um, but what we find down here is on the bottom right hand that the active distributors represent an average of 35.89% of total distributors. So this 48,500 um, are roughly 36% of all the distributors in the United States, right? Uh, so it would have been helpful if they would have put this sentence up here so we could have gone right away and thought, okay, so this is actually only about roughly a little over a third of all the distributors. So um, when we move down uh, into the text a little more, we, we learned that um, in this particular year, uh, the company paid out a little over $107 million in commissions. Uh, and these are two active distributors. Uh, we come down a little further, we can find that um, among all active distributors, the average uh, for a month was 185.41. If you multiply that times 12, on an annualized basis, that's $2,224.93. Again, we're talking income, we're not talking uh, profit. Um, there are expenses involved, usually in, in any marketing effort. But then the next sentence says that the average monthly commission paid to US active distributors who earned a commission check. So now what we, we've learned is that not all active distributors earned a commission check. That in fact, um, the, that many did not. And we know many did not because of the difference in the averages here. Of all active distributors who earned a commission check, the monthly check was $912.64, annualized at $10,951.72. So in these paragraphs uh, uh, here, um, what we've learned piecemeal is that there are a whole bunch of distributors and um, a, a little over one third of those distributors are active distributors. Um, and so all of those who are not active distributors, they didn't get anything from the company, no, no income, no earnings. And even among the active distributors, um, a percentage did not earn anything and a percentage did. And it's not clear here, at least in my view, um, for the casual reader or someone who's not had a lot of experience with this, how does this exactly play out? So I have uh, a diagram I'd like to show um, which um, helps to illustrate that point. And this is using the exact same data. Um, and so here we go. Uh, let me just put this on to uh, the slide. All right, so I've taken the description that I just read to you and I put it into a bit of a diagram. Um, so because we know that the 48,521 are, are the number of active distributors. And we know that they're 35.89% of all distributors in the United States. That means that the total number of distributors in the United States must be 135,173. 
is just taking 48,521 and dividing them by 0.3589. So roughly a little over a third are active and roughly a little less than two thirds aren't. So that means that 86,672 distributors that year were not active and did not earn anything. And that is 64.1% of all distributors. So now we take that 35.9% and we think about, okay, so those are all of our active distributors. Some of them did not earn anything um, and some did. So how do we think about that? Well, if we go back to the text, we'll see that it says that only 20.32% of active distributors earned in a given month. So that means roughly 80% did not. So um, when we do the numbers, we find out that of the 48,521 active distributors, 38,662 um, didn't earn anything in a given month. Now, they represent just a little less than 80% of all active distributors, and they represent uh, almost 29% of all distributors. So what's very interesting here, and, and I use orange here to illustrate the numbers for all distributors. So of all distributors, 64.1% weren't active. 28.6% were active, but in a given month, they didn't earn anything. And so therefore only 7.3% of all distributors in a given month earned anything. Or in other words, 92.7% of all distributors in a given month had zero earnings. Now they could have just said that, but they didn't, at least not in any way that was easily read. You have to kind of get in and, and sort of figure it out. Now, we know we've got our numbers right. We can kind of double check ourselves here based on their payout numbers. So they said that they paid out a little over $107 million in that year in commissions, that all active distributors, of all active distributors, on average, they made $2,224.93. Well, if we divide the average made into the total number, then we get the number of, 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 of active distributors, 48,521. So if we then do the same thing with active distributors who earned, we, we, we divide the 107,956,597 by the 10,951.72, which is the annualized average of distributors who earned something, then we get 9,858. 9, so I'm one person off here and that's just a rounding error. So there's two different ways we come up with the same numbers. And, and what this tells us is um, that about 97% of all distributors um, earned nothing in a given month, about 7%, I'm sorry, about 93%, let me make sure I'm accurate on that, about 93%, 92.7% uh, earned nothing in a given month, about seven, a little over 7% earned something. And according to 
the document, on average, among those 7.3%, they earned $10,951 in a year in gross income. But and this issue is a little more um, in, um, indirect or incomplete than what I've just described to you. Because when we go down here, uh, and let me go back to the document, when we go down further on the document, we have this sort of interesting um, data. So up here, we see uh, the annualized, right here, the annualized data for the active distributors who earned something is 10,951. But we don't know how many people earned the average. We don't know. Uh, we can't tell from this. But when we scroll down, what we find out, very interesting, that in fact, these, these people called qualifying executives, these people called provisional executives, uh, the, the people here who were active distributors earning a check non-executive, uh, these people who are executive, and these people who are called gold executive, none of them earned the average. Um, and they represent, by the way, they're not including their top three categories, but the, these two categories alone uh, represent 76.24% uh, uh, of all of their executive uh, and uh, above level distributors. So this tells us that the average is not representative of what the typical distributor gets. And um, as I mentioned earlier, the FTC has been concerned and has been very vocal about multi-level marketing companies not describing the MLM experience for distributors in words that are typical, the typical experience. Now I have a question. Um, have they mm -hmm. defined what they mean by typical? They um, have, it's a good question. Uh, and they have used, they have equated and I'd have to go back and, and find the document, um, but they have, uh, the, the word typical um, is often equated to um, the, what would be called the median experience. In other words, 50% had an experience more positive than this, and 50% had the experience more negative than this. From this data, we can say that the median income earned is zero far more than 50% of the distributors in this year earned zero. Um, and even um, most of the active distributors, far more than 50% earned zero. Um, so the typical experience in terms of income earned in that year is zero. Um, and you don't see that displayed here uh, in any clear way, I would argue. Um, and so, the reliance on average, which is really very common, and I'm going to show one more example here. The reliance on average uh, is, I believe, uh, misleading uh, to um, the casual reader. In other words, someone who hasn't got a lot of experience with these. And even to a person who has experience with these, um, because an average can be determined in so many different ways, um, and by that, I mean the underlying distribution uh, 
can be two different distributions can give you the same average. So for example, if you had 10 people and they all earned $110,000 in income, the average would be $110,000 in income. Or you could have 10 people who the first one earned a million, the next one earned 100,000, and the next one earned 50,000, let's say, and everybody else earned zero. So you have three out of 10 earning something, um, the top person earning a million, and you have seven out of 10 earning zero. If that was the case, the average would be $115,000. Now, only one person actually met the average, the person who made a million. Uh, so the average, uh, the underlying distribution that creates an average can be different, even though the average can be the same across two different distributions. So average can be misleading uh, and it can be, uh, um, I would use the word deceptive depending on how it's being used. Um, I'm not accusing them of trying to deceive here, but I am saying that they are not representing the typical distributor experience. And even the way this is written up makes it difficult for a person to understand any real meaning. Now, is this document representative of the payout that year? Yeah, I think it probably is. But what does that mean to that second part of that sentence? Again, we're gonna go back to that sentence. People succeed at this and you can too. Well, this document supports the first part of that sentence. People succeed at this. But it isn't clear that it supports the second part at all. And this brings up another issue and one that I've written about in the past. And that is, um, what if the same people succeed year after year at the highest levels? It makes sense that they would because they have well-established downlines. But what does that mean to you? What does that mean to that second part of the sentence? And you can too, right? So for example, if we look at this and we look at these top uh, earners, well, uh, you know, here we have the, these people here, they have an annualized co commissions of almost a half a million dollars. Well, they represent just 0.27 of all active distributors. Uh, now, are these the same people every year? And if they are, what's your chance of getting there? Um, what about the people above them uh, on the list above them? 94,068. That represents 0.8.18. Are they the same people every year? And so we don't get a sense of success, achievable success from this data. We only know that some people make a lot of money at this. Now, I have another question or comment and mm -hmm. tell me if I'm wrong, but it would seem to me that since the companies have the data, they have the numbers, they could put it out in a way that is understandable of how many people are earning each and not have this thing where I almost feel like the jigsaw puzzle that you have to kind of like know where the bits and pieces are and match it up 
to make sense out of. Right. And even this here. So how many people are making an annualized commission on average? That means some of them could be making a lot more than this of 48 of 458,000. Well, it's 0.27%. Okay. Of active distributors. Okay. Well, we, we go back up here. We've got 48, 521 of active distributors. And we're going to multiply that times 0.27%. That's 131 people. So 131 people across the United States um, on an annualized basis have earned an average that year of nearly half a million dollars. That means if we look at the category above that, uh, the average is 94,000. So the people in this blue diamond category, some of them could be making a lot less than hundred than a half a million dollars a year. They, some of them could be making, um, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year. We don't know. Um, and so we're really interested here to see um, why is this communication the way it is? To go back to your point, uh, um, we know the companies have this data because this is actually representative of, of money they pay out to individuals. They know who they pay money to, right? They know if it's the same people in the same categories every year. The other aspect of this um, in, of top earner persistence, and we can switch it around, and that is um, do people who are starting to earn, do they sustain their positions over time? In other words, if you as a distributor became a, I don't know, a Ruby executive. Um, now, Ruby executives only constitute about a half of 1% of all active distributors, according to this. Um, and their gross was 27768 That's not replacing anybody's life uh, annual income. At least I hope it isn't. Um, but even if it is, this is before expenses. Uh, so uh, if you are that person and you have achieved this Ruby executive uh, category or level, do, how much effort is it for you to stay there? And so on the one hand, uh, I worry that uh, the people in the very toppest position, highest positions, uh, those people in the very top positions change very slowly, if at all. And that the people in the mid and lower positions, although they have earned positive income, have a difficult time maintaining their position. And so um, I think that we probably would find a considerable amount of churn there. So when we think about the dynamic of succeeding, and again, it's just a simple sentence, people succeed at this and you can too. Um, the evidence supports the first part, doesn't support the second part. And I'll just, just, just as a matter of reference, let me just share a, a different, this is from a different company um, and uh, a different year even. So this company uh, was at least a little more helpful 
in that they put right up front for us that in fact, 72.25% of their distributors um, had no downline. They did have distributors who, without an active downline, who did have some earnings, 1.84%. Um, the earnings were $71.14. Uh, so um, maybe um, enough to take to you and your uh, friend out to dinner if you don't go too expensive. Uh, and then another, but when we go into those with active downlines, we find out that 19.61% earned zero. So th these people, they didn't earn anything, 72.25. These people, they didn't earn anything, 19.61. If we add them together, then we end up with 91.86%. Um, and if you'll remember from the other example, it was 92.7%. This is from a different company in a different year. And yet the percentage of people who earned nothing is strikingly similar. So the issue here, a couple of issues. First of all, um, for a long time, multi-level marketing companies have been promoting training and coaching. Uh, this goes back actually um, uh, decades. Uh, and the notion here is that if you are willing to invest in your business, um, we have people who know how to succeed. Um, I've been looking at these income statements for a long time, many years, uh, and I've not seen any discernible change. And so I wonder about the effectiveness of this training and the effectiveness of going to events to hear people speak and the effectiveness of coaching, effectiveness of coaching. Now, naturally, the trainers and the coaches are going to tell, coaches are going to tell you that they've got the secret, that they know what they're doing. They've been doing this for years. Um, and maybe they'll even affiliate themselves with someone who has succeeded, right? Um, I worked with Fred and Fred succeeded. Um, but that's not the same is documenting the effectiveness of the training or the coaching. And so like lots of other things here in the multi-level marketing world, uh, there are lots of anecdotes, lots of stories of individual success. But when you say, hey, um, is it worth it for me to pay for a coaching? Is it worth it for me to go to training every month or every six weeks or whatever, um, because it's gonna cost me money. Um, the answer is hard to find. In other words, it's very hard to find data that says it is worth it. And again, this is different than other businesses. If you have a company, not a multi-level marketing company, and you have a sales force, and your sales force is gonna go out and generate sales for you. And someone comes to you and says, look, I train sales forces. I help sales forces be more successful. The first thing you're going to do as the owner of that company is say, prove it. I want to see the data. I want, to, I want you to show me how you've went into companies and trained their sales force. And I want you to see, show me how sales increase because of that training. That's how 
businesses operate, right? Absolutely. I did want to interject. It's a, as somebody who has been in the world of training for many, many years, one of the things that we do is evaluate our training. And that is never a part of any of the coaching or any of the training from the MLMs themselves, not even a level one, which is a simple smile sheet that I'm sure many people have filled out, you know, about like, you know, what did you think of this training? It's just kind of initial reaction is often referred to as, you know, a reaction evaluation, but there's nothing to be able to look at that is like, okay, now was somebody able to go put this in action? And what happened in six months? What happened in a year from now? We have no data other than They've gone and like you said, just these, you know, antidotal type, you know, testimonials. And it's just really people's opinion, which is nothing in terms of did that really matter? Did it help? Is there any verifiable evidence? Because from what I can tell, there isn't any because I've never seen it. Yeah, I have not seen it either. Um, and um, in my position uh, and having um, been watching, you know, this industry and having literally people send me things that, you know, unsolicited things about the industry. I've never seen any evidence. I'm certainly open if somebody wants to send that to me. Um, but uh, it's hard. It's hard to imagine uh, that an industry would spend a great deal of effort promoting uh, sales training and coaching um, at the expense of the distributors um, and still never ever provide evidence that it actually works. Um, and in fact, if we look at distribution, income distribution statements over time, it doesn't seem as if it does work at all. Uh, so, um, you know, where, why are you asking your distributors to spend their money? Every dollar they spend takes away from a dollar in income that they might've earned. So if in fact they did earn that average of $10,000 as an active distributor in that first example, um, if they spent $2,000 on training that year, then really they only earned $8,000. And uh, how many hours did they take? Yeah. And you and I have talked about this before. How many hours did they spend trying to just earn that $8,000? Um, I would also say one of the things that I have experienced, you know, when I was with Beachbody is that the a top coach would put together their university, their, their training program, which again, there was nothing that was evaluating the effectiveness of what was being offered. It was just out there. And, you know, you were made to think like it's going to help you in some way. And one of the things that has also bothered me about it in terms of being an instructional designer with doing evaluations, one of the things we do is we look at the feedback. It's like, well, what do we need to do to change this, to make this better? Where are the gaps? Things like that, from what I can see, are never considered in any of these kinds of programs. So you don't even know if what you're taking, really how valid is it to even start with? Because it just looks like they keep putting out the same kind of things over and over and over again. And that's pretty much it. Right. And, and that, I think, uh, is, is why um, industry critics like me um, question the intent of companies. Um, when uh, the companies put out income statements like we've just talked about, um, and I could find many other examples that are very similar, um, I wonder, what is it 
that the company actually wants its current distributors and its prospective distributors to know about the business opportunity. What do they really intend for them to know? If you look at the income statement, um, it seems as if they intentionally obscure the performance data of their distributors. Now, it, do they do that? Or do they know, know how to present it better? I'm, I'm, I'm sure we could find lots of people, including myself, who would be more than happy to take their data and put it out there publicly in a way that's understandable to people. Um, but it does make you wonder, and, and I would hope that the people who are thinking about joining an MLM or continuing to work in an MLM will also ask themselves, how interested is this company and the top line distributors in me succeeding by providing me with meaningful information so that I can understand the path to success. Um, and uh, I believe that, it, you know, we could also get into whether or not um, that path is based um, on individual effort. I would argue that there's lots of reasons to our, uh, suspect that it's not. Oh, I would absolutely agree with you on that. And something else I wanted to mention is recently I did a, a reaction response to somebody who is with Modere and then they did their opportunity, you know, call and I sat in on it. And I've seen a number of these, you know, as doing the work that I do. And never once have I seen one of them bring up their income disclosure statement and even let them see it. So it's not even presented as like, here, go and look at this. I mean, there's never a mention of the numbers. And in fact, the person who did this presentation, she pretty much kept on saying like, oh, it's easy. Everybody is making money. When in fact, we know from just looking at the data as confusing and convoluted as it is, most people in fact are not, but they will continue to parrot that, oh, yes, it's, it's, it's just so simple. And we have the system for you to use, just put our system into place. And, you know, basically, you're going to be on the gravy train. Yeah, I think these income uh, statements are basically a, a defensive form of communication. So they can say to regulators, or uh, industry critics, we tell people we tell people income's not guaranteed, we show them who, you know, uh, that, that many people didn't earn income last year, etc. Um, but it, it's actually much worse than the data shows. Um, and uh, they could present a much more meaningful um, presentation uh, of available data. And they choose not to and have chosen not to for many, many years. Well, I think if the problem goes back to your simple sentence, People make money at this and you can too. If they showed the reality, the reality would be like hardly anybody is making money. So it's not in their best interest to even show what the reality is. Yeah. And I, I think that uh, one of the things that we um, will eventually explore um, uh, in this MLM structure is an issue that we don't have time for today. Um, but it's it's an asymmetric information issue. Um, what is it that top distributors know? What information do top distributors have access to uh, that the average distributor doesn't? And how can top distributors use that to maintain their position 
to be on the top. And uh, if in fact, they are the ones that are persisting year after year after year at those top numbers, what is the real possibility of anyone um, becoming that successful? Um, or if people are that successful, how did they get that successful? Was it because a, a, a top distributor tapped them on the shoulder? Was it because they were a relative? I mean, what is actually going on in the dynamics of success inside of this structure? That is a conversation I definitely like to have because I think it's important. And I don't think it's something that, you know, we've all been able to explore, you know, on YouTube and, you know, doing podcasts enough. And um, I would definitely like to have you back if you're game to come back and, you know, talk about that. And I don't know, probably after I move, which, you know, I told you earlier, I'm moving in July. So I'm kind of trying to get things, you know, wrapped up before the big move. (laughs) Yeah, I've moved many times and uh, it's a chore, no doubt about it. Um, I My simple advice on moving is make sure everything's in a box <laughs> because you end up with loading your car up with all these loose things and it's like you're making 10,000 trips back and forth. So I always try to get everything into a box. It makes it at least a little bit easier. Well, my husband- I'm not my day, so I don't move this. Yeah. Yeah. I've now reached the point where I don't, I'm done moving. So, um, but it's, it is a chore, but it's good luck and it's exciting to get into a new home like that. So, and I'd certainly be, um, you know, welcome an invitation to come back again. And um, I think there will be plenty of opportunities to talk about this industry. Um, It uh, continues uh, oddly, uh, despite all the statements they make, it continues to actually struggle in its position in the United States um, it has declined relative to total U.S. retail sales for quite a few years now. Um, it seems to be something the industry doesn't want to talk about or admit. Um, and so um, I think there are reasons for that. Um, and, you know, we'll explore them. That would be another really interesting conversation because that's that's something I don't think I have explored. And that's really, I'm interested in doing that as well. So there's plenty of things that we can talk about. I mean, this, the content just writes itself. What can I say? There's just plenty to go on. Um, and I think it's important that we just continue to put out things to hopefully educate people about some things that they don't know about this industry, because everything is, you know, looks fabulous, especially when you see those events. I mean, it's like expenses at these events, but what's really going on? What's really happening? And when we look at this data, again, as convoluted as it is, when you break it down, and thank you so much for doing that, it becomes very, very clear that people are not going to have success or the likelihood is questionable at best. That's exactly right. And, and the path, the uncertainty of the path raises serious questions about the standard statement that MLM companies make, which is that success is up to you as an individual and your effort and your skill. And if you don't succeed, it's because of you. I think um, I have real concerns about those kinds of statements. And I think that there are probably decisions being made communications being made uh, within an MLM that would actually prove those statements not to be true. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. 
just wow. I learned so much when I talked to those who have been involved in sharing their expertise on this phenomenon known as multi-level marketing. Not all companies publish income disclosure statements, and even when they do, what the information means is not readily apparent. I suspect that is very calculated in terms of how the data is presented. If you have ever been involved in multi-level marketing, think back when you were in it. Did you see any data that provided you solid evidence that by getting involved, you would be able to earn any money or substantial money? I know I was not given anything. I just trusted what someone told me and I thought this person was a friend and she wasn't. And maybe she didn't know exactly how deceitful she was and if she did, I don't think she really cared as long as she was able to keep her status, so to speak. Thanks so much for joining us today and remember you're beautiful and I love you.